Welcome to the PCOS Girls Podcast. I'm Bridget Warren, founder of PCOS to Wellness and creator of Sisterhood and Mamahood Teas. And I'm Melissa Christie, founder of PCOS Pathways and creator of the PCOS Journal. And guys, we are not doctors. We are just two women with PCOS who love reading about it, talking about it, writing about it, basically just oversharing about it. (laughs) So we recommend you find a health practitioner you love to support you on your journey. In the meantime, this podcast is all about how we have gone from hormonal messes to motherhood, the simple changes we've made to improve our PCOS, and the ups and the downs of living with this complex condition. Let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome back to the PCOS Girls podcast. This is Mel and I'm here with Bridget. Hey. Hey, hey. (laughs) Today's episode, we've got a really great interview with Caitlin Johnson from PCOS Fertility Nutrition. And yeah, it's a, it was a fun episode because we, what we did was we kind of imagined we had like an imaginary client or she had an imaginary client going from being someone who has PCOS and then that client then wanting to start trying to conceive and then being in early pregnancy and the different tips that she would give for each stage of that journey. So yeah, it was really, it was really fun. And she gave some really, really great insights. I thought. Oh, I loved it. I thought it was a really cool episode to do, but also she was just super upfront. She's obviously got Mm. heaps of experience in doing this. She's worked with so many different women with different types of PCOS as well, which is really, really cool. And I just found her knowledge like, incredible and and very easy to understand like she does she talks about it in a really easy to understand way but but I loved as well just the format that we did it in of pretending that we had a client and she just sort of went through what she would do if that was her client which was really interesting to hear I think too yeah I think so too and actually I just remembered that after we stopped recording the interview we were talking afterwards and she just said something I wanted to share with you guys because I thought it was valuable we were just talking about like finding a good practitioner Mm, and she said something that she recommends to people to look for in a good practitioner is a practitioner who is curious yes and I just thought that was really nice like who shows a curiosity in you and your journey and and in health you know wanting to learn more I thought that was a really really good tip because I resonate with that and I think that the the practitioners who I love have been like that yeah it's like an investment into you like they're as invested into you as you are to them and that is how it should be it's not this like you know transactional process well it is but it's like you've got to both be getting something out of it and I think that's what creates this really beautiful relationship and that's what's Mm. going to see results because you're both invested in making it happen and absolutely getting those results so yes I mean she's a great practitioner but I loved that that advice that she gave as well which unfortunately Mm. we we had finished recording by the time she said it it was a good it was a really great episode though and I think I I got a lot out of it as well and obviously we're not you know, currently seeing practitioners to help with our PCOS. So it's a really, really good one. Hopefully everyone gets something out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're just going to do a quick recommendation before we play the interview for you. So what are you recommending this week? Well, I'm doing a bit of a basic bitch recommendation. Sorry. But... <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but I actually don't even know if – I'm hoping it will still be on by the time this airs, but the Olympics. I mean, I'm just <laughs> – Yes. I'm just into it. I'm just really yes. into it. I was watching the cross-country equestrian. I, For those who don't know, I was a horse rider and I, I used to compete in eventing, which is part of cross-country as well. And I just was, like, living 
in the moment watching these horses and riders. And like, I was, I found myself, you know, when you like move your body to like get them, like they get to a jump and I like found myself like moving my body to like, and I'd be like, come on, come on. Like clicking the horse. It was just like, Oh my God, can you not? And then a girl fell off and I was like, Oh no, she's out. Anyway, I'm just really into it. And I feel like Australia is doing exceptionally well for how little we are as a country. Um, yeah, we're just killing it. So you know, yeah, pretty amazing. The Aussies over there. <laughs> I actually, cr- I cried. Oh gosh, <laughs> I cried stop. for real when the Australian men's BMX, uh, an Australian <gasps> guy won. How good is he? He's, he's oh, freaking he's amazing. amazing. I was just so happy for him. Oh, so was I. I watched that on repeat, and I was just like, <laughs> "How was his sport not in the Olympics prior to this? Like, this is yeah. everything." That guy was insane. He's amazing. What's his name? Like. Logan or something, or I probably oh, made I that up. Yeah, that does ring a bell, but I don't know. Anyway, he was <laughs> fabulous. They're all yeah, fabulous. Really They're all amazing. And the other thing I'm loving is that their beds are made out of cardboard. Do you love this? <laughs> okay, I, so I've only ever, I've only read headlines. What on earth? What? <laughs> like literally, their beds are made of cardboard. And I thought, oh, when I read it, I was like, you've got to be joking. Like that sounds horrendous. But then, like, you go and see all these athletes, and they're like stoked because they've got these. It's just the base. It's not. They're not sleeping okay. on cardboard. They've got a mattress. <laughs> but the base is literally made out of like cardboard boxes. It's quite bizarre, wow. but it was that to is. make it more environmentally friendly, which I love. And I love that there's too. been no complaints that they're like uncomfortable or anything. And there was this rumor going around that it was to prevent people from having sex. Like it was yeah, like I, between that I and that. there was like no condoms or like way less condoms than usual. They were like, oh, it's just to stop everyone from, you know, getting it on. But I don't think it's that. I think it's purely environmental. <laughs> It just sounds like maybe it's stopping safe sex and comfortable sex. That's true. I don't think it's going to be stopping anyone. If anyone, I mean, can you imagine the adrenaline after competing? Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, that's my recommendation. What's yours? I love it. Um, Mine is a parenting podcast for any parents listening called Unruffled. Oh. Um, yeah, it's by Janet Lansbury. Don't you just want to be unruffled I as a do. parent? I just yeah, love that it's word. the perfect word. Yes. <laughs> um, everybody knows who's been listening that I've had a bit of a struggle um, with my parenting journey since Alma came along. You're it's a little been a ruffled. Very, uh, pretty ruffled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, like, yeah, a massive transition for me, you know? And so this podcast. There's been lots of things that have helped me along the way. It's been a stepping stone and this podcast has been like the holy grail that I've found. And yeah, it's honestly, I can, I swear to God that it has changed my life. Like it really, really has. I, I, it's just saved me. Uh, It's completely changed my perspective on parenting and yeah, it's helped me so much. So if anyone is struggling at all with parenting, especially if it's like, behavioral stuff with their kids or just even managing your own emotions and if you feel like you're getting cranky at your kids all the time and you're not happy about that like oh my god this is just made for you (laughs) oh that's so cool I love that Mm. oh and also for siblings I actually wanted to say to you Bridget oh my god if you want to if you want to don't do this if you don't want to but if you want to like read anything or listen to anything about like I do you know the fact that you're going to have um two kids and they're gonna yeah then then I would recommend this because she has sibling episodes and I'm and about like 
how to talk to your child before your baby comes along. Okay. And I haven't listened to them because I don't want to feel Bad super about sad about the it. fact that I didn't do it yet. Oh, I Because really, she's that good. That, okay, that's really helpful because <laughs> I cannot tell you how many people in the last – I'd probably just say like the last three weeks. I don't know why all of a sudden it's become this thing. Everyone saying to me like, how are you preparing Flynn? What's Flynn going to think? Like, oh, do you think he's going to be jealous? And it's honestly causing me stress because I am like, mm. I why is this happening to me now? Like I haven't even got a baby yet. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, so I'm definitely going to go listen to this podcast because I'm already worried about it. And I feel like it's a big adjustment from having your little baby that is your everything to then having two and having to split that attention and deal with emotions. And I don't know what to do. I don't know what I can do. Uh, I think you will handle it. <laughs> fine if Flynn handles it fine and he might handle it fine mm. but and if he doesn't <laughs> if he doesn't then you might be scrambling a little well for me I was so terrified about how I couldn't see how it was going to be possible yeah. I'm like how is it possible and so I actually buried my head in the sand and mm. I kind of regret that I'm like why didn't I read anything mm. about this why wasn't I prepared at all I was learning everything on the back foot so yeah. But then at the same time, I don't want to put the fear into you at all. There, like, there are so many families who who handle it just fine. So, I know. Well, to yeah. be fair, I just find this pregnancy as well. I've done nothing. Like I, Flynn's pregnancy, yeah. I read every book. I listened to every <laughs> podcast. I listened. I did everything. And I was like, I am I'm so prepared. I could not be more prepared for this baby yeah. than I am. Whereas this one, I'm like, oh, I don't know what day it is. I don't know how far along I am. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing and I'll be fine. <laughs> Well, same. I think that's kind of why I had yeah. my head in the sand. So you're a bit. like, it's don't just, do what I, just, I did. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I just don't need more time. Anyway, we will leave you now, and you guys can listen to this app that we did and we love with Caitlin, and hopefully, you guys love it as much as we did. Because it's enjoy, guys. Fun. Bye. Yes. Bye. Ah, hello, Caitlin. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. Really appreciate you being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I loved it. Uh, So for our our listeners, you might have noticed that Bridget and I are both here today. Often we we could actually both jump on Mm. together. So that's so exciting for us. We're joined today by Caitlin Johnson, who is this incredible dietitian who specifically helps women with PCOS to balance hormones and get pregnant. And you can follow her on Instagram at PCOS Fertility Nutrition and her website is PCOSFertilityNutrition.com. We're really excited to have you because Bridget and I are always talking about how how amazing it feels to be, you know, supported by a practitioner who really gives you the time and support on your journey. And from what we've seen, from what you're offering, like that, you just do that so well. And so we're just so excited to have you on here today. And we're going to, you're welcome. Um, We're going to do something a little bit different today. To structure our interview, we would sort of work with Caitlin's advice like there is this imaginary client Mm. who's going from someone who comes to see her and she has PCOS, isn't trying to conceive yet, but maybe wants to in the future. And then looking at her advice as that client becomes someone who is ready to conceive and then who is in those first stages of pregnancy. So we're going to work through it that way. Fine. (laughs) I'm pretty pumped for it. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) It's like my life. (laughs) 
I didn't have to do any prep for this podcast because like, this, this is, is what I do. This is my life. I love yes. that. Yes. <laughs> that's kind of perfect, really, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who haven't been to a dietitian or, you know, don't really understand what's involved, like this is sort of the perfect example of what goes on. And the fact that you specialize in PCOS and fertility and hormones, you know, that's really, really beneficial for people to see, okay, if I find the right practitioner, this is probably the type of journey I will be on. And that's kind of what Mm -hmm. we want to take them on is that journey, which we'll go through the different phases of as well, which will be really interesting, but to see it from your perspective and to hear what you'll be asking them, what you'll be taking them through the, and the sort of advice that you would be giving them as well. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) All right. Let's dive in. All right. I'm going to start by asking you the question we ask all of our guests. And that is, what did you have for dinner last night? I um, pulled up the questions right before I hopped on (laughs) and I kind of giggled at this because it's 8.30 p.m. my time while we're recording (laughs) so I was like should I tell them what I had last night or should I tell them like what I just cleaned the dishes for what we tell us both because I'm so intrigued to hear what a dietitian has for dinner (laughs) well I hope that this normalizes life for you a little bit please Um, do that for us it's the the weekend here and I barbecued hamburgers last night and we did homemade like asparagus fries. And so I guess that is a little dietitian-y. We have an air fryer. So I was like, let's, let's do sweet potato and asparagus fries. Um, So actually breaded them a little bit. My kids don't really realize how fancy they eat. That is. Yeah. I feel like that's pretty exotic. (laughs) And then, and then I did like a coleslaw. So that was last night tonight. So I'm pregnant and I'm nesting right now. And I spent the whole weekend organizing. So I was beat tonight. So I did what we call in America, and this is probably like super terrible, but we call it egg roll in a bowl. Have you ever heard of it? Never. It's like shredded cabbage, (laughs) shredded carrots. I put some onion in it and you basically like take any ground meat. I did ground beef and like you brown it and then you throw in the cabbage and then you throw in a bunch of Asian flavors. So like- Fish sauce. Instead of soy sauce, I did coconut aminos, a little sriracha, but not in my kids' part. What else? Some rice wine vinegar. Yeah. I mean, pretty simple. And then some like peanuts on top. And then we had that with real rice because you can eat real rice and have PCOS. (laughs) Totally. Um, And then after that, we had this has been like my pregnancy craving. And so my daughter's learned that if she asks for them, they're in the house. (laughs) Oh no, the worst thing ever. (laughs) Dark chocolate. They're basically like Reese's peanut butter cups, but they're like a fancier organic dark chocolate version of them. So we we had a couple of those That's so funny. So have you been craving chocolate this pregnant? Because obviously, you know, I'm pregnant as well, but I've gone so off chocolate. Like chocolate is like the last thing I want. You know what is funny is the combo of peanut butter and chocolate in my lifetime has never sounded good to me. Mm. In this pregnancy, it's like all I want. Like oh I'm making peanut gosh. butter chocolate smoothies. I, you know, <laughs> I'm all over it. So yeah, I'm kind of that way with coffee in pregnancy. I never want coffee in pregnancy, but yeah, right. <sighs> That's so funny. When I'm pregnant, I want coffee, but I never I never drink coffee. It makes me crave it so much. Mm-hmm. So it gives me yeah. anxiety. So I like even in my normal <laughs> life, I drink it decaf just because I love it. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's great. Well, thanks for. I, I mean, I feel like you were gonna. I, I thought you were gonna be like, I had chips and bacon for dinner because you were like let me just normalize this but you totally went all fancy <laughs> us, so yeah oh well <laughs> okay we do eat we do eat fancy because I like to eat that way but 
but like real food. Yeah. Um, no, it's not fancy. Yeah, it's just real and food. Rice. Yeah. yeah. And you've made it, you know, you've still got delicious things in there, but they're still really nutritionally balanced, which is amazing. Mm, and I really like how simple that mm. mince dish what sounded. Is, so I, I'm still trying it's to get It's called my- egg roll in a bowl. It's kind of, have you ever yeah, had egg roll? We don't no. have those. I don't know what that is. Okay, this is totally like American version of Chinese <laughs> food. And then they're like, let's make it healthy. And and probably it's it's almost like a paleo keto-ish is version like of the dish. scrambled eggs? No. <laughs> I'm trying to visualize I'll send it. you a link and okay. you can put it in the show notes <laughs> and try it. Every Australian's like, whoa, this sounds yeah, crazy, wild. <laughs> All right, we'll move on from that question then. <laughs> This is, we'll get down to a bit more of the nitty gritty stuff. So I really want to know what led you to become a, a dietitian that specializes in PCOS? Like what was the reasoning behind that? Yes, that's a good question. Well, you know, as I think a lot of us in our PCOS journeys where you both have designed amazing products to support women with PCOS, I mean, my foray into any type of career, really its root was my PCOS diagnosis. So I was Mm. 19 when I was diagnosed with PCOS. I'd been out of high school in America for two years and I didn't do like the normal thing, like get out of high school, go to college. I went out of high school and did a Christian Bible study program and had no idea what I wanted to do. And I got, I went off birth control, got diagnosed with PCOS. And when the doctor diagnosed me, he told me, I said, what's PCOS? You got to like kind of picture it. I'm like still, I just had the ultrasound. I'm still in that like crinkly white robe paper naked underneath it. The doctor comes in and he comes in and he says, I was right. Like the terminology even just makes me so grossed out. I was right. It is PCOS. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, what the heck is that? And he said, it's the number one reason why women have trouble getting pregnant. And that's not what it is, actually. That's a mm-hmm. potentially a statistic about it, but it's a complicated endocrine disorder. Like, mm-hmm. exactly. you know, so he focused on a gynecologic statistic. And I, you know, there I am flabbergasted. I'm like, okay, well, I don't really like you've just slashed my future hopes of being a mother, but that's pretty far away. What do I do about it? And what had led me into the doctor's office was in three months, I had gained about 60 pounds. While training for a half marathon, my acne came back with a vengeance after coming off the pill. And like my symptoms were just crazy out of control. Mm. And he told me, you need to lose the 60 pounds you just gained. And here you need to go back on the pill and here's some metformin. And I said, well, what's metformin? And he said, it's a drug for diabetes. And I was like, well, do I have diabetes? (laughs) And he said, no, he said, no, you don't have diabetes, but this will help you lose the weight. And you know, if you, if weight's not coming off, come back to see me in three to six months. And if the weight is coming off, you know, this is just the plan. You need to stay on these until you're ready to have babies. And it just, I left like, you know, in the movie, like walk out of the doctor's office, like the wind is blowing, the music crescendos. And I'm like, I have no idea what the heck I'm going to do with this information. And I tried, I tried really hard to do the right thing. Like there was a nutritionist at our church. She put me on a raw food diet and like, I would do any, you know, I was Mm -hmm. desperate. I would do anything. Mm -hmm. I was running again and I was not losing weight. Although my skin did clear up on a raw food diet. (laughs) but I ate a lot of like fruit and 
you know, very carbohydrate dense things that I could sprout. And it was just the wrong, there was no balance. It was the wrong thing for me. Mm. And so I did about a year later, go back on the pill, got a new OB and just started trying to find balance, like working out realistically, not training for something crazy, starting to learn how to eat healthfully. And over like a four-year period, lost that weight that I had gained. Mm-hmm. And um, I, it was kind of at this like precipice of like, what am I going to do with my life now that I'm done with this Bible study program? And I thought, I'm going to study nutrition because there's something here. There's like something underlying that the doctor's missing and I need to figure that out. So I literally like kind of became a dietitian, not because I wanted to treat anybody else Mm. because I had this fear of being unhealthy and unwell my whole life. And I had seen my mom struggle with her weight her whole life. And I knew that she struggled with infertility. And so I thought like, well, she probably had this and I need a different future. And so literally that was kind of, wow, that was it. I yeah. started going to school for it, did my internship, left my internship. So to become a dietitian, you have to get a degree. You do an internship, you sit for an exam, and then you do continuing education credits. And the more I got to know what dietitians did, the less interested I was in actually mm. being a dietitian, mm-hmm. frankly, yep. because it all seemed very like calories in, yes. calories out. Let's treat disease once disease is there. It, I didn't see, at least in my internship, I didn't see a pathway to be on the preventative side yes. of things. Yep. Mm. It was really frustrating and kind of deflating. Like I had had, by the time I was done with school and my internship, I, I was in my like late twenties and I had already like had other career things because I put myself through school and I got to be in a dietitian and I just hated it. <laughs> it's like, this is not what I signed up for. But by then my PCOS was well-managed yeah, or so I thought. And that's what drove me to private practice was I hated my jobs as a dietitian, working in hospitals, treating sick people who were not mm-hmm. in moments that they were ready to hear, yeah. you know, like you just had a heart attack. Let me walk in and teach you a heart healthy diet. Like that's not a teachable moment. They no. need to come see you when they're discharged and well, or, yes. you know, mm-hmm. feeling better anyway. So I started my private practice while we were trying to get pregnant. And that's what dovetailed into kind of my passion for this side of treating PCOS because Mm. I saw every practitioner I could, Chinese medicine, naturopath, OB, reproductive endocrinologist, and they all had pieces of the puzzle, but nobody had, nobody had the foundation. Nobody could teach me like how to chart my cycle and Mm. how to build a plate even with my knowledge as a dietitian. Like all the basics were like skipped over and it was either let's move straight to medication or let's just, you know, put some needles in you and see how your body responds, which seemed like a, you know, this is probably helping, but it didn't seem comprehensive to me. Yeah. And so, um, I just started knocking on the door of all my OBs in town where we lived in this town in California and just said, will you send me all your PCOS patients that are trying to get pregnant? I think I, I know what I can do for them. And because I had like pulled every research article I could find on PCOS, pregnancy, ovulation, you know, anything kind of fertility PCOS wise, whether it was food supplement, weight loss, like what did the research say? And I just started tinkering with myself and with others and was having like better success rates than these doctors were having sending them to the 
reproductive endocrinologist. Mm. So then they just started sending wow. everyone to me. <laughs> and um, I love that they did that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, yeah. it was like the proof was in the pudding. Yes, kind of, they like, were seeing the results, which is, mm-hmm. you know, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And there were probably two or three that were like, they were my biggest fans. And it was almost, I think the other piece of it was they were seeing better pregnancy outcomes too, mm. because we were dealing with root cause things leading into pregnancy. So women were coming in, not getting gestational diabetes at the same rate, mm-hmm. you know, not having preterm labors at the same rate. And so it was like, it wasn't even just for, to help them get pregnant, yeah, but to have a really healthy pregnancy. It's um, amazing. Mm, yeah, it's really so, amazing. So interesting. Yeah. It's really morphed over time. Like I yeah. don't see anybody in town anymore. It's all online. Thank you, COVID, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the perks. <laughs> yeah. It's um, so good though, because like as somebody who lives, you know, fairly remotely, like definitely in a regional area, finding a specialist who actually specializes in PCOS, it's just not it's not a yeah. thing. Maybe you'll find someone who specializes in women's health more broadly. And even that's super exciting. Mm-hmm. So to be able to have access to practitioners like yourself online is a real game changer, I think. Yeah. And I think it's important. And I also love that you have had your own PCOS journey yeah. and we talk about it all the time. Like how many of the practitioners out there helping women with PCOS had their own journey? Cause we've had mm-hmm. to help ourselves. Yeah. It's amazing. We have, and you know, not even just PCOS, but I mean, even knowing everything I knew, it took us almost three years to get pregnant. And I feel that like in my bones, like one of my clients, first of all, when they get their period, we're excited, right? Sometimes it hasn't been coming, (laughs) but when it comes and comes and comes again, and we aren't seeing the positive pregnancy test, like I, I think what makes me so good at what I do and also personally like needing a therapist yes. is that yes. I write it with every patient. Like yeah. if they cry, I cry. Yeah. And I, I feel it cause I have felt it. And yes. Yeah. It's, you know, I think when you go through yeah. that kind of struggle or like the grief of a miscarriage or something, I think when you see something like that happen in someone else, it's very easy to tap back into mm. that. It's like this reservoir that you've mm. opened and it's very easy to tap back into that. And I often wonder about people like yourself who are, you know, seeing people all the time dealing with this hard, it must be to take that on. It, yeah, truly. Like I got a therapist. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. Somehow yeah. I have to be able to leave work and still love and these think, women yeah. and give them the best and and then like yeah. walk upstairs and see my three-year-old and, you know, not have hey, like a crying mom. Yeah. 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 And do you know what? Like I've definitely seen what you're offering and you have like a 12-week course. Um, could you remind me what it's called? Yeah, Sorry. It's called Fine Fertility with PCOS. Fine Fertility with PCOS. And I've had a look at what is in there. And when, when I saw it, honestly, the thing that really stood out to me was how much support you did offer within Mm -hmm. there. And now that you're telling us about how you take this on, I can see how that's come about for you, but let's take it back. I want to have a look at imagining that a client's come to you and they have PCOS. They're not yet trying to conceive. What's that? What are your considerations? You know, what are these first things that you look at to kind of determine which way to go? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I kind of like look at the person as the middle of a wheel and they have all these like different spokes coming out. And so I want to get to know all of them to make sure it's round and smooth and where it's not like, where can I help smooth it out for Mm -hmm. them? And right analogy. Say, <laughs> yes. yeah, I, I would say that a lot of women come to me in this moment where it's like, or I'm getting married next year and we're going to start trying right away. 
And so I'm not, we're not like actively trying to conceive, but I want to be ready when we are. Um, mm-hmm. I get a lot of, a lot of women join my course kind of in that mode. Yeah. And I, even in the past year in my private clients that I do one-on-one with, I've had a few that were kind of in that boat. And then I think I get a lot of the other end of the spectrum where like nothing's worked and they've done stimulated cycles with medications. They've done IUI, they've done IVF and nothing's worked. And I'm like the, the Hail Mary on the other end of the spectrum. Like, okay, well let's go natural. Or I didn't even know this, there was a way to treat yeah. this naturally. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't want to say that they've neglected it, frankly, because I just don't think practitioners are doing a really good job at diagnosis or at all these touch points along yes. the way, giving women mm-hmm. opportunity to know that lifestyle and diet are actually the best ways to treat your PCOS. Mm-hmm. Like major medical organizations even say that. <laughs> and we yeah. see that in research. So um, it's not a biased point of view by myself. <laughs> so I may <laughs> and I have feel some like if that's not it. <laughs> I feel like even when a GP does say that, like if a GP doesn't just say, let's put you on the pill or metformin, if they do say, oh, it's diet and lifestyle, it's like, well, it's diet and lifestyle. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Like, they don't really yeah. give you the insight. And there's not always a great referral base for them, you yeah. know, or, or do they have the times, you know, I think sometimes I come off as like just totally demonizing doctors. And I don't mean to do that. It's, I just mm-hmm. reflect back kind of the stories I've heard and mm-hmm. they're d- very disheartening. But so mm-hmm. to answer your question, somebody could come to me in this preconceiving or like, uh, you know, I wanted a baby five years ago and I've spent, you know, multiple tens of thousands of dollars and I'm still not a mom. So in somebody in more of a, like I'm being proactive, I want to get ahead of my PCOS. I, I need to learn these things. Mm. I'm looking at those spokes. So the, one of the first things that I do is dig into their medical history. What other diagnoses do you have? Because there are a lot that are common with PCOS, things like hypothyroidism, which I'm sure you guys talk about just their general health, because if we're going to get them pregnant, we want them to enter pregnancy the best they can. If their liver is sluggish or if they have fatty liver or something else going on, we want to do what we can to help that in these months preceding pregnancy as well. I look very deeply at lab work. And I think a lot of people just expect me to jump to these like really functional medicine tests. And I find with PCOS, you don't really need to start there. Sometimes you need to go there if things aren't working with traditional, like my traditional protocols, something else we may need to dig deeper, but usually just getting a really good thorough um, CRM. So blood lab work, yep. very useful. Yeah. And what I'm finding is that women aren't being offered this mm. prior to seeing me. So what I would consider thorough are, especially if somebody's been on birth control or metformin, testing some of the nutrients that we know that these lead to some deficiencies in. Yeah. So particularly like folate and B12, um, vitamin D, which is not necessarily depleted by those medications, but just women with PCOS are very deficient in. And to set you up for pregnancy, or to help correct any level of insulin resistance, vitamin D is like top of my list. If I can't get everything, I want to know vitamin D Mm. for sure. Mm -hmm. A really thorough thyroid panel because we see women with PCOS, high incidence of hypothyroidism and 80% of hypothyroidism cases are Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune type of hypothyroidism. So determining if that's present, because that really changes my protocols with people. 
And then getting really good actual, like what people think of when we're talking about hormones. So androgens like DHEAS, DHT, if I can get it, although that's a little bit more expensive here in the States, free testosterone in addition to a total testosterone, because the free testosterone is the one that does most of the damage, right? It floats around and it's the one touching your, your sebaceous glands, making you get acne. It's touching your follicles, making your hair fall out or making it grow on your chin. So getting thorough androgens, progesterone, estrogen, um, some of those are important to get at certain points of your cycle. And if I know that like they're here preconception and they're trying to get pregnant three, six, nine months from now, I will test something like LH and FSH early on because we see a fairly common higher LH levels in women with PCOS um, relative to FSH. And this is that same hormone that makes OPKs really unreliable for good number of the PCOS population. Mm. That's such a good point to touch on. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that, and then like, if I could get nothing else, I would pull vitamin D, insulin and glucose fasting, fasting insulin, fasting glucose, so that I can calculate something we call the HOMA IR score. And that helps us get a really, a pretty accurate understanding of if somebody um, is insulin resistant, which so many of us with PCOS are. Yeah. One other thing I'd like to say about the FSH and LH is sometimes you see it flipped where FSH is really high and LH is low. And if that presents in somebody with what we call lean PCOS, bunny ears, <laughs> that's a pretty big tell that it might not be PCOS. It might mm. actually be what we call hypothalamic amenorrhea, where somebody's not eating enough for the amount of activity that they're doing. So yeah. think back to like learning you know, gymnasts, um, in the Olympics, losing their period, that kind of idea, but like happening to the common girl, because she's trying to manage her weight, doing CrossFit six times a week and eating 1200 calories. Yeah. Yeah, It's just like not enough. Right. Absolutely. And I actually see a pretty fair amount of lean PCOS diagnosis and it's not actually PCOS. Yeah. We actually did a full episode on this because, well, because the same thing, like a lot of people had no idea and were being diagnosed with PCOS Mm -hmm. and actually it was nothing to do with PCOS. It was Mm -hmm. exactly what you're saying. It's over, over exercising, under eating. Doctors know any different. They just put you on the pill to get your period back. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's the same solution. Uh, Oh, she has a uterus and she doesn't have a period. Give her the pill. It's like, it's totally, yeah. Let's not dig any deeper here. Yeah, I know. So that's another spoke. I think the more obvious spoke you'd all think of since I'm a dietitian is we assess diet. So a lot of times I like to do what we call in dietetics, a 24 hour recall, which is just really simple. I'd say like, Hey Mel, yeah. Think back to yesterday. What did, when you woke up, what was the first thing you ate or drank? Mm. And you'd tell me like, maybe it was this fancy tea. I saw you brewing on Instagram, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) oh, it was a rough night. And I ate, you know, freezer waffles because my baby kept me up all night. And so I just try and get, and if I heard that, I'd go, oh, you told me that was a rough night what's a normal breakfast like mm. when you when you feel rested to try and understand like 
the length and breadth of what your diet what looks they, like. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, so because interesting. Because, like, if, you, if we had recorded two nights ago, I would have told you we had pizza for dinner. Mm. And that's not, you know, like, that's not every night of that's, the week yeah, what I eat. Yeah, not a right? true depiction of, like, your yes. entire... Yeah, because I wanted to ask about, like, the food and lifestyle advice. Because if you... Okay, let's say you have someone come to you and they're looking deficient in the common nutritional deficiencies that we see, particularly with women with PCOS. What sort of like, what do you, what do you then go into? Do you go straight to diet or do you go, let's do supplementation? Because obviously you're a dietitian. So I'm assuming you would go down the diet route, but I'm interested to hear what you say. I I always love to go food first, Mm -hmm. right? Like if I can get somebody to get, to meet their nutritional needs solely on their dietary intake. But that is, I mean, that's hard for me to even do. And I know everything, right? And sometimes we know that women, for instance, with PCOS are more deficient in magnesium, Mm -hmm. vitamin D. Vitamin D is really hard to get enough of in your diet. Yeah. So especially depending on where you are in the world and what you're doing with your skin, mm. you know, I'm very fair. So yeah, I load up to... on sunscreen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because I burn like hell. Yeah. So um, my vitamin D is never coming from the sun. Like, yeah. Ever. Interesting. So I would say it's a mixture and it's very patient specific. Like you'll even in like the Facebook group where I ask questions and help people design supplement protocols in my course you know, I'll say, I actually have them track a week of eating in something called chronometer.com. So like in an initial assessment with a one-on-one, I'll ask them the questions. And then at some point I'll send them to food diary for me in this. Right. And the reason why I like this one, it's free, but it goes into not just like protein, carb, fat, sodium, and, you know, mm. the few things that generally like my fitness pal or something would track. Mm. It will tell us all the different types of B vitamins. Mm. It'll tell us all the minerals. It'll break apart all the different Mm. amino acids. And so I can see like very clearly in this week of what Bridget ate, man, she did great meeting like what I would call her macro requirements for managing her PCOS. But like she had no vitamin E. Her magnesium was like 10% of what we'd expect. And so that's where it's really easy for me to go, hey, we can make strides towards this in your diet. Yeah. But while we're getting there, because habit change takes a long time. Yes. Let's add in a supplement to give you some quick wins and help you feel better. Yeah. Yeah, Mm. exactly. We'll have to put that website in the show notes. I want to check it out. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. I think because yeah, I'm a big believer as well. Like obviously I want to be getting as many, if not all of my nutrients from my diet. Like, I think that's really important, but in reality, that's just not always the case. You know, that that's just not what could happen to a lot of us, particularly if, you know, I was on the pill for 10 years. I had a lot of nutrients that were depleted just eating and I ate healthy already. You know, my background Mm -hmm. is actually in public health health promotion. My mom is a nutritionist. Like I, Mm -hmm. I have a great understanding of it, but I was just depleted. So I did have to supplement to get to a point mm-hmm. where it could then be managed by diet after that. And even now, like obviously I'm pregnant and, you know, the first three months of pregnancy, I haven't been able to eat anything other yeah. than potatoes. So I'm very aware <laughs> that, that I need to be supplementing with a really good, I like I normally go for like a whole food based supplement, but obviously it's, de- you know, dependent on how deficient you really are and how quickly you need those nutrients. But yeah, it's, I think it's such a great ethos to have to hear a dietitian go, look, 
we just want to get you to a point where you're going to be able to function really well. Like let's pop you on a supplement, but here are the actionable steps you can be taking diet wise, which are going to be long-term, you know, and this is exactly. what you can do for the rest of your life to make sure that you're getting really yeah, adequate we'll work towards this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think back to like my original supplementation that helped me start managing my PCOS and I don't take a number of those things anymore, but I still take vitamin D. I mm-hmm. still take myo-inositol. I take magnesium maybe two nights a week. Yeah. You know, there's some things where it's like, it's nice to have it around. Yeah. And- Plus there's the fact that our soils are more yes. depleted in these things than they once were. Like magnesium is one, iodine is another. Yeah. So I feel like there are some, I mean, do you consider that there are some things that just might always need a little push? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, and so the other side of it is always looking at, you know, I'm looking at a whole person here are they, can they afford supplements? Yeah, absolutely. Where can we make their budget go the furthest for what their goals are? Mm-hmm. So it really is, you know, very patient specific. Yeah, individualized. Um, okay, really what love books that. have we talked about? Diet, history, lab work, any supplements that they're already on? And, you know, if they have seen an acupuncturist and then a naturopath and then they're like, oh, this fertility dietitian, mm. I should check her out. Sometimes they come to me with like a bag. Yeah. You, know, like, <laughs> you know, we're all conflicting each other. Yeah. Um, and and what medications they're on because that's a big mm. piece of it. Um, I always think when I see somebody who's suffering with depression, who's been on the pill for a really long time, there's a there's a really big um, correlation between girls going on the pill in their teens and then depression developing a number of months later. Mm, And instead of the doctors seeing that, they just start treating with antidepressants. And a lot of times, if you can replete those nutrients that were depleted with the hormonal birth control um, choice that they were on, sometimes that corrects itself. So that's also something that I'm always looking for, especially if I'm trying to hold their hand into pregnancy, Mm. I want them to have the best chance at mood and um, mental health and stability through pregnancy and into postpartum. So important. So that's Mm. another thing I look for. And then movement. So, so I'm assessing like kind of everything, like everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, depending on how soon they want to conceive, we start digging into you know, I want to know as a part of your, like your whole medical history, what's your cycle like? Yeah. Do you even know if you're ovulating? And then what I often do is just give them modules to listen through on how to learn how to track their cycle. Yeah. I was going to ask Learn how to tell if they're ovulating. Is that Um, something that you actually teach them is, you know, how to track your cycle, how to know when you're ovulating. Absolutely. So important. (laughs) No one never tells anyone. No. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it, it puts them back in the driver's seat, right? Like, I remember going to my OB when we were starting to actually after a year of trying and being like, okay, it's not working. And she, I said, I don't think I'm ovulating. Mm. And she's like, oh, that's a good question. We should answer that. And I'm like, how do I do it? She's like, oh, buy, go on Amazon, buy a big pack of OPK strips, and then just start peeing on them every day. Didn't tell me what time of day, because that matters, <laughs> you know, like so, so many, many things. Yeah. And I was like, well, my, 
cycles are like 70 days long. Sometimes when should I start peeing on him? She's like, Oh, like day 11 or 12, because you'll probably ovulate by day 14. And looking back and like, wow. she had no effing clue. Wow. That's so we did not know crazy. when women ovulate. Cause if I was ovulating in a 60 or a 70 day cycle, like it was like day 55, it's not day 14. Like, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> right. Like, Oh, it just irks me to my but bones. I think it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's so important that people like yourself are passing on this knowledge because, you know, the, the women that learn how to do this, that do go on to become mothers one day will have daughters and then they will be able to teach that to their yes. children. And especially even with that pill knowledge as well, like I got contacted by someone recently, a mother whose daughter was a teenager, had been put on the pill and had very quickly gone from being this very happy, content girl to super depressed and now was being prescribed antidepressants, like you say. And it was all to regulate this teenage girl's cycle. And so I think passing on this information, it's just going to improve our knowledge generation on generation. I just wish everyone knew, right? Well, that's why you do this. That's why you do the podcast. That's why I do the podcast. You have Instagram and labor of love. But it is important. And the other thing is as well, it's like, you know, this is, this education is really empowering for, for women to be able to take, like what you said before, take control, take the driver's Mm. seat and know that, you know, it's can be used as well, like obviously with precaution, but to prevent pregnancy, if that's what they want to do and to know what's going on, be able to like harness the different phases of their cycle. Like there's just so many more elements to it other than just wanting to fall pregnant, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so true. As a big thank you for listening to our little podcast and for being a part of our very special PCOS Girls community, we've created a discount code that you guys can use for any of our products. Head to PCOSToWellness.com for Bridget's products or PCOSPathways.com for my products and enter in the code PCOSGIRLS15 for 15% off. That's PCOSGIRLS15. Love you guys. Okay, so you have this client that possibly coming up to the time where they want to start trying to conceive. Do you kind of, do you look for signs that they're ready? Do you sort of give a nod of approval? Like how do you handle that transition? Are you involved in it really? Um, I think that's really patient-led. Like, yeah. you know, typically like I'm thinking of one patient right now where she got me like a year ahead of them knowing that they wanted to try. And I just got an email that was like, okay, my cycle's regular. And, you know, can I have a couple appointments again, just cause we're about ready to try. And so that, you know, that's how she wanted to handle it, but no, I'm not in charge. Like it's mm-hmm. up to them. And frankly, if they're ready to try that, that's as simple as like not preventing pregnancy again. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. pull mm-hmm. the goalie if it's a condom or if it's yeah. a diaphragm or whatever it is. I think I'm more involved when I'm helping them be ready to wean off birth control. Right. So mm-hmm. um, if they've had like a copper IUD placed or they're on a hormonal contraceptive, which some of my clients start with me on so that they can put things in place and then come off of it feeling more Mm. confident that they'll, their symptoms will be more managed having, you know, done some diet and lifestyle stuff ahead of time. 
I think I'm more involved then, but no, I, I'm never like, okay, yeah, now it's safe to go. <laughs> yeah. What about at that point, like if they, they're wanting to conceive, like they, they have come straight out and said, that's what they're wanting to do. Do you get the partner involved at all? Like, is that something that's oh, important as much to you? As I can. Yeah. A lot of times, sometimes what we'll do is we'll just have them come to one appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always offer when they're my one-on-one patients, I will record our zoom meetings and then they can have their partner listen to it. I have one client that they always listen to it together, but yeah, I usually try to get them on at least one zoom call Mm. for two reasons for their health. Yes. Mm. But because this journey is really difficult and having a partner really invested in understanding, you know, it breaks my heart when I have somebody that's like, I'll do anything. And they're doing all the, you know, nutrition changes and their partner's like, I'm just going to eat a frozen pizza or I'm going to go get Taco Bell. And it's like, they just don't have a supportive person at the dinner table with them. That breaks my heart. So if I can get somebody on the line and can kind of assess their health a little bit, give them a little bit of pointers. I definitely do. I I do review semen analysis Mm -hmm. on any of my clients that have them from their partner and many of them do. And then I will design a supplement routine for the partner and yeah, it's usually pretty simple. Like it's selenium, zinc, yeah. CoQ10, and usually some sort of like really powerful antioxidant. We have some really good research on what helps sperm quality. Um, one thing that people don't often think about is actually weight for men. So being obese or even at the upper end of like the overweight BMI category can affect sperm quality. And Mm. I believe that part of that is that some of the testosterone is really just diluted. And so for as much of like their body as there is, there's less hormone pumping around getting to the testes and helping develop quality sperm. But so sometimes, you know, a woman's approaching me with PCOS and does have a desire to lose weight and her spouse has a need to lose weight as well. And so that's kind of a little bit of the plan. However, yeah. it's never like, I am not the weight loss dietitian. I am yeah. the, let's get your hormones in balance. Let's yeah. support your health and then weight will come off. It's that's a much more approach holistic approach to it. Yeah. 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 Um, but it, it does sometimes come up in conversation and it is one thing we see in research with men who are obese when they lose weight, their sperm parameters improve. So it's definitely part of the conversation. And like Um, probably really valid for a couple that may have been trying for a really long time and might not have put it down to possibly on being on the partner's side as well. And it could be something that's, you know, not a massive adjustment that could really help their chances Mm -hmm. and, you know, affect them in a really positive way. Simple things like literally like a handful of walnuts a day improves sperm quality. Like that's so easy. You know, so like I have a sheet I do give clients where it's like, this is not hard. Yeah. Smoke less, Mm. drink a little bit less, eat some walnuts, take these three supplements. Your sperm will be swimming, (laughs) you know, but to your point, I think, especially for a couple that's been trying for a while with PCOS, the woman usually comes in with the shame. The Mm. woman comes in thinking it's all her and to give her partner something to do alongside of her, even if it's a different thing to do. Yeah. I think it it helps them feel like they're a little bit more of a team in it. Yeah, absolutely. All of this is on her shoulders. Yeah, I think it's so nice. And it becomes, I guess, a bonding thing. As weird as that is, that, you know, they're in it together. It's their journey. It's not just her journey, which is so mm-hmm. important. 
Mm-hmm. So true. Um, when you have a client who's trying to conceive, are there specific, any sort of specific sort of fertility boosting foods that you recommend or any specific lifestyle kind of changes you encourage them to make? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that, so I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, when I saw somebody's post on like a specific type of PCOS, like, you know, everybody wants to know, is mine this type? Is mine that type? And I see honestly with like the basically over thousand women I've treated at this point, frankly, there's a lot of overlap. Like sometimes it's Mm. a little bit of adrenals, but really bad insulin resistance. Sometimes it's their thyroids out of whack and their adrenals are out of whack you know, sometimes it's like, there's, there's no reason I can see, but they have high prolactin and it's not from a pituitary tumor. And so they're just, their doctor's calling it PCOS. Mm-hmm. So I see this like broad range and you can't just say, do this one diet and take this one list of supplements to everyone, mm-hmm. because those are mm-hmm. a lot of kind of different inputs. But what you can do with diet is say like, come on, what you, what you're probably teaching to your children, like eating the rainbow is good mm. foods closer to how you see nature provide them mm-hmm. is really good. It's not that you could never have pizza or I ate a burger with a bun the other night. You can still do that, but you can see that like, I've kind of crowded the plate with other really good things. And so I think sometimes people expect me to come in and just rip out their favorite foods. And oftentimes I'm just trying to like crowd the plate with the good stuff. Yeah. Give you a sense of security that you can still eat foods that you like too. But when we're talking about trying to conceive specifically, I think that this is kind of taboo in the PCOS world, but I really like whole, like full fat dairy. (laughs) It work really well for some people. If they have really, their biggest symptom is acne. Sometimes we'll approach things a little bit differently. Um, But I see it work for a lot of people and it's a great source of protein for blood sugar balance. So I definitely incorporate that into a plan. Lots of nuts and seeds, lots of vegetables. I believe that for most people eating like good quality animal products as your source of protein makes it really a lot easier to balance your blood sugar. So really it doesn't feel earth shattering or like it's so different for trying to conceive, but these are things that I think are just good for healthy hormones and healthy Mm -hmm. humans. And that will make for healthy conception, Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly with PCOS. I find some most women don't eat enough fiber. So Mm, yes, helping to increase their fiber, especially if they've been on like a gluten-free diet coming to me, they're eating a lot of very processed forms of food. And like even keto, I feel like keto is such a big one, the PCOS word, but it's lacking so many other nutrients and fiber is one of them. And this is the big thing with that. Many of us, because of the PCOS and delayed ovulation, we're not making a lot of progesterone over the course of a year. Yeah. So our estrogen is running really, really dominant all the time. It's unopposed by progesterone. And the way you get estrogen out of your body is by pooping. Mm -hmm. So if you are listening to this and you're somebody that struggles with daily bowel movements and you're struggling to get your cycle, it part of it may be estrogen dominance and not 
being able to shuttle that estrogen out of your body. So increasing your fiber is a really good way to help that in, an, in kind of two different areas. If you are getting that fiber from vegetables, you're probably eating vegetables that are helping your liver detox the estrogen and get it into your bowels. And then that fiber is helping push it mm. through your bowels too. So that's one thing, like I'm looking for low hanging fruit where we can make big changes that are going to affect the overall health of the person. But generally I see people eating way too much carb and not enough fat and protein. And not to say that I put them on a low carb diet. We just kind of try to even those things out. Balance it out. Eating not enough vegetables, eating not enough fiber and being afraid of foods that are really nutrient dense. Yeah. Um, Like counting on almonds. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, and then (laughs) binging on ice cream and it's like, You've just counteracted. Had a hand, yeah, just yeah. eat a handful of almonds. Like, what's, yeah. put, oh, you don't like almonds unless there's chocolate? Okay, throw some Dark chocolate, chocolate in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. like, yeah. <laughs> um, so, it, and I think that this is just human nature is like, we want it to be black and white. Mm. What is good and what is bad and how do I stay in the good column? And part of the problem there is, if doing what's good all the time makes you feel deprived, then people just veer off course yeah. really hard. And I see that particularly like, okay, I've been really good and then I didn't get pregnant. So my period comes and then it's like, well, all hell breaks loose. And then it's really hard for them to get back on the wagon. Whereas yeah. like if they just always were allo- allowed to still eat some of the yeah. foods that they still really loved, yeah. they might not end up there. Absolutely. It's not about depriving yourself. It's about you know, I love exactly what you said before. And I say it as well. It's like that crowding out method. It's like, just keep adding in the good stuff. And then you just, or you end up eating less of the bad stuff by default. You know, that's just what happens. Absolutely. You don't need it. it and you'll feel full. And yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when your hormones are balanced and, and especially, I mean, we think 80% of the population with PCOS at least has insulin resistance. If yeah. we can get those hormones balanced, your cravings get so much easier to deal with or yeah. they decrease. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so if we can balance your blood sugar and get your body used to that, then the, those high sugar, high carb cravings improve. I guess one thing, like just because it's so rampant here in the States is soda. Soda is something I kind of am like, it, mm, I do think it's the devil. Go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's, you know, it's a big you know, issue Dr. here Pepper, as well. <laughs> is it? Okay. Dr. Pepper once a month, no big deal. Dr. Yeah. Pepper on your way to work and on your way home, it's not helping you. Yeah. Even if it's diet, it's not helping you. And so that's something that I usually am a pretty big, like, Ooh, if I see that, we I'll, I'll give them no other homework for yeah. two weeks. Like, <laughs> Except we need, to, soda we need to wean your soda out and wow. we'll replace it if that'll help you. But like, if we can just improve that one thing, sometimes you're shocked at how many other things improve. Along yeah. Amazing. All right. So we've got, we've got our amazing client who's imaginary client has now got to the point where they are pregnant because all of your great guidance has got them there. Um, <laughs> so what do we do with this- some really good sex? Hopefully like, some let's great not sex. That yeah, there's some like really good quality <laughs> sexes in there. But so so with she's she's now pregnant and like it's really early on in the pregnancy. What tests are you looking for? Like I'm guessing more nutrient based, obviously, because you're a dietitian. So that's what we're going to be focusing on a bit more. But like, what do you? What's your first go to? Someone comes to you there 
two to six weeks pregnant, what goes on? Yeah, Mm -hmm. whatever. What goes on in those first few weeks? That's a really good question. So there's a few things that I really like to look at early on. And part of it is because we see if we can optimize these things early in pregnancy, we can decrease risk of pregnancy loss. And one of them is vitamin D. So this one's interesting because if they've been working with me for a while, I usually know where it is Mm -hmm. and we've optimized it hopefully. But if there's somebody like new to my course, they're just never had a vitamin D done and three months into the course they're pregnant. I'm like, go get your vitamin D done. So in nanograms per milliliter, what I would consider optimal is 50 to 80. So let me do some quick math. So it's like in your units, (laughs) I can't remember your units off the top of my head, but I remember how to convert it. So Um, I definitely don't. So (laughs) yeah, we want to see 125 to 80 times two and a half, 200. So if I'm saying 50 to 80 and you're like, Oh, great. But it's not nanograms per milliliter. It's not right. Okay. So check your units and nobody's ever there unless they've been working with somebody and they've been supplementing hard typically. So the thing about vitamin D is that you need magnesium to synthesize it from the sun. You need enough cholesterol in your body to synthesize it from the sun. You need magnesium to help transport it throughout the body and to turn it into different types of vitamin D. So what's the other thing we always hear women with PCOS are deficient in is magnesium. Mm -hmm. So sometimes somebody will be supplementing hard with vitamin D for a long time and their numbers aren't changing. And usually we can correct that if we can get them more magnesium. So that's just a little pearl there. But vitamin D I like to look at because gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, preterm labor, all the stats show Mm -hmm. those, those risks go down greatly. And I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but greatly if we can optimize your vitamin D. Um, wow. So important. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. So vitamin D, TSH is another one I like to look mm-hmm. at early. So thyroid stimulating hormone comes from your brain, tells your thyroid what to do. Even if your thyroid was great pre-pregnancy, checking it early in pregnancy because pregnancy just changes kind of like the economy of your metabolism in pregnancy and your thyroid is very taxed through pregnancy and postpartum. And that's something to get checked every once in a while. Anything above 2.5 increases your risk of miscarriage by a lot. So if we can see that early, we can treat it. And the best way to treat it early in pregnancy is taking prescription thyroid hormone. Like it's holistic and as natural as I like to be. There are times when mm. you need a prescription medication. You don't want to muck around. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. So TSH is one I really like to look at and progesterone, particularly with women with PCOS. And this is not something I see OBs, reproductive endocrinologists routinely testing. And I just don't know why, Mm. because women with PCOS tend to have lower progesterone. There's a number of reasons for it, but if you can find it and then give someone progesterone, you can help them save a pregnancy. And typically if it's low, they'll put you on progesterone through your entire first trimester when um, at that point, the placenta really starts taking over progesterone production Mm. and it's not relying on the corpus luteum in your body to do it. Um, So I really like to look at that. If I can't get anything else, I want to look at progesterone as early as I can, because if we can, Mm -hmm. I've just seen too many women have, in my opinion, likely an unnecessary pregnancy loss early on because that wasn't being monitored. 
Um, I totally get that. I've I've been there. I think that's what happened with my miscarriage, and then moving forward, I've that's been such a priority for me is getting mm-hmm. actually finding a doctor who will support that, yeah. which is very hard. Did you take a prescription progesterone on, with my second with and third second? pregnancies? Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, in the second pregnancy, they found that it was low, mm-hmm. so. I did need the supplement, but I had to go to a gynecologist for that. I don't know what it's like in America, but in Australia, when I've gone to GPs about it, eventually what I found out is that for a GP, it's not like standard medical practice to actually prescribe progesterone. So even if he found that my levels were low for pregnancy, he wouldn't be able to do anything about it. And so you have to go to a gynecologist in Australia to deal with that. And in the States, um, typically your GP will want you to see your gynecologist, but there are some family medicine practitioners that also can treat pregnancy and if they're hip to it, but a naturopath can oftentimes have prescribing rights to progesterone. Did you do an oral or a suppository? Suppository. So I find that the suppositories are way more effective. So if somebody's listening Mm -hmm. to this, don't be scared if you're on an oral and this is you and you found low progesterone, but if you can talk your doctor into giving you a suppository, it's not as fun. It's not like the suppository they gave you when you're a kid to stop you from puking up your butt. You're putting it up your vagina as close to your cervix as you can get it essentially. But I mean, I, I truly believe in some of my patients it has saved pregnancies. And there's actually a little bit of research on, and I've recommended this. I don't have prescribing rights for progesterone in the States, but I recommended this to a number of patients where I've seen they've ovulated. We've got them ovulated. We've put together five, six, seven cycles, and they're still not pregnant. And there's either evidence lab work wise, or based on what I see in their charting, that there might be some progesterone deficiency. Taking it as early as we confirmed ovulation forward and not, we have a positive pregnancy test and a lab showing that you're deficient. Mm -hmm. I, I think that it has helped a number of women actually get pregnant. Yeah. Right. What, what are those, sorry to put you on the spot, but what signs do you see of low progesterone outside of the tests? Yeah. So, um, a short luteal phase. So after you ovulate, we call that period of time between that and the first day of your next period, your luteal phase. So in my opinion, anything like 11 days or under would be considered short, sometimes 12 days, especially if you're telling me like you're spotting for a couple of days before that 12th day. Mm-hmm. spotting. So heavy spotting or consistent spotting like two or three days before your full flow starts. Um, yeah. Not as big of a concern to me if like that happens on day 14 of a luteal phase, but if that happens on day nine or 10, a little bit more concerning. Those are really the big ones. Uh, when I'm looking at charts, if I see their temps go up and then on day like nine, their temps really start diving down. Um, that's telling me their progesterone is dropping out too early. So there's some things you can do. B6 is very effective. Vitex or chase, um, berry tree is a really effective herb for that. You want to be a little bit careful with that in PCOS. Mm. So I'd, I'd work with somebody, but there are things you can do to support that without progesterone. Mm. Um, and oftentimes that's where we'll start while we're like trying to get them into the doctor and, you know, get somebody on board with this plan. Yeah. Um, 
if they're at a point where like they're seeing a reproductive endocrinologist and they've done some stimulated cycles, sometimes they'll have some progesterone left over. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that I tell them how to use it and how to do it because that's not part of my <laughs> license, but you can see that a lot of what I do is kind of on the fringe of being a dietitian. And mm-hmm. I think that some of it is coaching people to have the right conversations with their practitioners yeah. to get the right support. Education. Because how, how yeah. else how else could they know to do it? Exactly. And, um, so that's kind of the test side of it. Sometimes if their doctor isn't pulling an HCG and they've had history of miscarriage, there's something called TLC care with people who are seeing reproductive endocrinologists and have history of pregnancy loss. And all it is, is like giving them extra testing and support to give them peace of mind. Mm. So it's like extra ultrasounds, extra lab tests. Yeah. Um, I, I view it as my version of that is helping them get the human growth hormone tested and then tested again to make sure that it's Still increasing at the rate that yeah. it should be. Because sometimes the doctors just aren't interested in monitoring that. And if that mm. gives somebody peace of mind... So worth and lowers it. their anxiety. Yeah. What, yeah. Why not? You know, I've actually got point, a, I'm like, yeah, I've got a friend going through that at the moment. Cause she's had, she had a child and then she's basically had like three miscarriages in between mm. that child and um, desperately, you know, wanting to fall pregnant. And she has just fallen pregnant, but she's gone through the private system here in Australia, which is obviously all paid by the individual just because she wants the extra monitoring and she wants to be able to get the ultrasounds when she needs them. But her mental health is so much better for it because she's not stressing. Like, you know, she knows that she's having those frequent checkups and I'm not doing that for my pregnancy because I'm, you know, everything's progressing fine. But yeah, for her, that's been an absolute game changer. And I didn't realize how big a role that was playing, you know, and could play for a lot of women. I think it also plays for women who maybe haven't experienced pregnancy loss, but it's taken them so long to get pregnant. Yeah. Having that extra information that's reassuring can be helpful. And and that should be patient-centered care. Like we should be looking at each individual and going, how can we set them up for the healthiest pregnancy? But I do believe if we can optimize your thyroid, your vitamin D and your progesterone, we could have so many less miscarriages in the PCOS community. Mm-hmm. And there's just mm-hmm. like, it, we don't have practitioners on high alert. Yeah. So be on high alert for yourself, require that somebody pull those and advocate for yourself early on so that you can optimize them. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Sisterhood Tea. Hi guys, it's Bridget Warren, the founder of PCOS to Wellness and creator of Sisterhood Tea. Sisterhood Tea is a powerful blend of herbs that has been specifically created by me to help other women like me who may be experiencing the many frustrating symptoms of PCOS and other hormonal imbalances, which affect so many women. Every ingredient in Sisterhood is 100% natural and has a purpose. And most importantly, the ratio of each herb has been carefully weighed out to ensure the perfect amount is added into each bag to make it an easy and accessible way for you to manage your symptoms every day. And don't worry, I promise it tastes nice too. Sisterhood tea is a powerful holistic alternative and is suitable for all women but has been specifically designed to help support women who may be experiencing symptoms of PCOS and other hormonal imbalances, women who've been on the contraceptive pill or are coming off the contraceptive pill, problematic skin conditions such as acne and dermatitis, fertility issues, weight management, 
hair loss and hirsutism, moodiness, bloating and menstrual cramps, and of course, regulating the menstrual cycle. Sisterhood Tea is 100% natural, organically grown where possible, vegan, and hand-blended and packaged in Australia. The results and hundreds of testimonials for Sisterhood Tea are honestly just incredible. And some of the most inspiring stories include clearing up stubborn acne, growing back hair loss, regulating their period, and even successful pregnancies after years of trying everything else. We call them our little sisterhood babies. So if you want to find out more about Sisterhood Tea or read some more of the amazing testimonials, head over to PCOS2Wellness.com where I ship worldwide. That's such a big takeaway from this conversation, I feel. When women are pregnant, again, are there are there food or lifestyle things that you kind of try to focus on a little bit? Yeah, stress management, especially yeah. early pregnancy. I see a lot of anxiety around I'm nauseous and, you know, everything I did to get pregnant was blood sugar balancing. And now all I can eat is like quesadillas, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like pasta with Parmesan and potatoes, potatoes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> blueberry muffins. Um, and you know, the research shows us the more nutrient dense your diet the better the outcomes. And yet how many of us fall in that category of just feeling mm-hmm. like crap and, mm-hmm. um, eating is better than not eating. Yeah. So usually I tell people like, give yourself some grace, listen to your body, put nuts in crackers by your bed. So that like, yeah. if it is truly more morning dominant, which for a lot of people it is, although the name is such a misnomer, <laughs> get it, get something in your belly that you can tolerate. And then follow it with something more nutritious. Mm. So eat the cracker, eat the quesadilla, but then have, if you can tolerate an egg, eat an egg. Mm. If you can have some chicken breast, have the chicken breast. Mm. So um, a lot of it's like tips and tricks of how to get as much nutrition in managing whatever symptoms are there. Constipation's really prominent for pregnant women, PCOS or otherwise. So um, I find magnesium to be a really safe, effective way to help with that. I think hydration is also underrated in pregnancy. Yeah. And it's hard because you have to pee all the time, right? So like yeah. who wants to keep It's like, no, drinking? don't want to drink anything. No, don't want to drink <laughs> My midwife told me that she wanted me drinking a gallon of water a day this pregnancy. And I was like, are you, I mean, I do this for a living. Do you know what you're asking me to do? <laughs> um, but hydration is really, really important when you think about how your blood's expanding the amniotic Mm. fluid and the quality of that hydration, good, clean water. Yeah. I hear that we have a new pregnancy tea. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's how I get a lot of my liquid in, in Mm. pregnancy. So, you know, looking for quality over quantity, if you're struggling with, you know, those symptoms, um, but keeping your bowels moving, those are, you know, those are comfort measures that can just help everything else, right? Like mm. nothing's worse than being nauseous and constipated. Yes. Uh, oh my gosh. Like- <laughs> the worst combination. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I think another thing that early pregnancy I'm always thinking about is safety and supplementation. So mm. what were you taking that helped us get you to this point of pregnancy and what needs to be pulled now. Yeah, Um, for sure. And like, so quick thoughts there. I tend to keep people on an inositol throughout pregnancy. I see that that really helps lower incidence of gestational diabetes. Frankly, if you took an inositol to get pregnant, 
in my opinion, you should stay on it through pregnancy and breastfeeding to That's interesting. Help, help support, you know, healthy levels of breast milk. Sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of an argument right now and whether it should be metformin or inositol. Uh, if you were taking metformin to get pregnant, that's really your call. Mm. Um, if with you and your doctor, if you want to stay on it. Um, but I like to keep people on inositols and acetylcysteine is something that I use a lot to help women quality cervical mucus. You know, it really ups glutathione. It seems to help egg quality. Um, we know that it's safe in pregnancy. Like Mm -hmm. if you were to accidentally overdose on something and went to the emergency room and you were pregnant, they'd probably give you an IV of N-acetylcysteine. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, it's very safe, but it falls in the category to me, especially with pregnancy. I'm always asking, why are we taking it and what's Mm. it doing? Um, I think inositol covers the blood sugar insulin help and you don't really need a secondary help on top of it. So I usually, I don't pull it cold Turkey. I'll wean somebody down if they're on like um, 1800 milligrams, I'll wean them down to 1200 and then 600 and then off. Right. Vitamin D, I typically keep people on magnesium to some degree, a prenatal and omega. And then really most everything else gets stripped out. If they were on Vitex ahead of time, Mm. we'll usually titrate that down. I've seen some naturopaths keep people on Vitex through the first trimester to help support progesterone. I'm not comfortable doing it, Mm. but I've seen it done. But that's one that I'll usually pull. So those are things like I, that's one area where like, especially in my course, as soon as somebody says, oh, I'm pregnant, I'm like, okay, send me the list of what you're on because I want to make sure that we're taking out what may not be safe um, and that we're optimizing what should be there. And are you um, running your course again this year? Well, by the Given time that people listen are? to this, no. <laughs> um, yeah, we're doing one more round that literally like I'm opening enrollment. I sent the wait list an email on Friday, opening it up to everybody else on Monday. I've gotten to a point where we'll only take 50 people at a time because of how hands-on I am with them mm. in the Facebook group. Mm. And it's just like I spend a couple hours a day in there every day and too many people, I just want to make sure they get the help that they need. So yeah. Given how pregnant I am, no, probably the next round. <laughs> we might, we might like pre-sell in the holidays and do a round in January, maybe. Yeah. We'll see. That just kind of depends on how easy of a baby I get. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just found out my yeah, nanny you guys who for? watches my kids a couple of days a week is pregnant. So I'm like, okay, well, we got a lot of changes uh, coming. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what I have done, because this has seemed to have been a need, is I've been getting a lot of questions lately on Instagram, like, okay, I'm pregnant. Like I listened to your podcast. I've been following your Instagram. Something worked. Not that it was me, like they're pregnant, but now I'm pregnant and I don't know what to do. Like I'm scared about my PCOS pregnancy. So we've made a mini course and we basically stripped out the end of my fine fertility course where we talk about having a healthy pregnancy and then gone a little bit deeper even. So there's like a postpartum module, a bre- prepping for breastfeeding module, if that's important to you, supplements, food, lab work. We've made basically like a mini version of how to have a healthy PCOS pregnancy. And so that is going to be available like around the calendar. It's not mm. going to have an open enrollment or closed enrollment. So That's if somebody's great. listening to this and they just got pregnant mm. and they're interested, so helpful. 
or they're mm. scared. You know, I think that, that there's just so much fear around a lot of this that's available. Absolutely. I know we get asked about that a lot mm, as well. Yeah. And the other mm. thing is we took kind of the first part of the course because a lot of people aren't really like, I'm already working with a dietitian or I'm working with my naturopath, but like, I, I want to learn how to chart my cycle with PCOS. So we've made, we're recording it. I'm like halfway done with the recording. It'll be out probably by the time this is released a mini course on, we're calling it charting plus PCOS. So it's like how to chart your cycle and learn if you're ovulating Mm -hmm. so that you can optimize sex to conceive or to avoid getting pregnant Mm -hmm. with like all taught through the lens of you of PCOS, which I think Mm -hmm. brings just some interesting things to the table that you know, when you're learning to chart, it's like you have all these extra questions because of your PCOS experience. So those are both like way less expensive and are going to be available around the clock because they aren't coming with Facebook support like my other courses. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like completely DIY. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. It's been very, I I feel like there's a really big message here about balance and also about advocacy, Mm -hmm. just really advocating for yourself Mm -hmm. and empowering yourself with this really important knowledge, Mm. you know. So thanks so much for sharing that. If I could layer in anything else, which maybe I haven't talked about enough, is that there's a lot of hope. Yeah. The statistics Mm. show that women with PCOS don't have any less children than women who don't have PCOS. For a lot of us, it's a matter of getting you ovulating and optimizing some of these hormones and you can have a healthy pregnancy and you can have a healthy child and you can grow your family. And I don't, you know, I am all about that message of hope because my diagnosis out the gate basically told me this wasn't going to be possible for you. Yeah, I had already had insecurities about with my mother's history of infertility. And so it it was kind of like, oh, geez, but that's. It's, it's not true. It's not true. And I guess we're all case in point for that, yeah. you know, which yeah. is <laughs> which is really crazy because, you know, I was told the same thing. I know Mel's got a similar story and, you know, here we all are with our own babies. So it's very, mm-hmm. yeah, there is so much hope out there and it's really important to not give up on, on that or, or your dreams of being a mother if that's what you want to do or just getting more control over your cycle and understanding what's going on. Cause that in itself is so empowering. Empowering. Yeah. So empowering. Yeah. And frankly, all of us should have learned it like at 12. hundred percent. 100%. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just did a post last week where it was like, you're probably, or maybe I made it last week and it's coming out this week. Like you get hungry leading up to your period, huh? Like, everybody has that. Right. Yeah. And everybody's like, Oh, I've, you know, I have all these cravings and I'm so hungry and it's insatiable. It's like, it's cause your metabolism's higher right before your period. Exactly. Like there's a reason yeah. for that. Don't not eat. If you're hungry, Don't feel eat. guilty about it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's crazy. So much of what we go through that's natural from our hormones is so demonized. Like mm-hmm. even the word hormones is demonized. Like we have so much shame around being hormonal mm-hmm. or emotional when it's actually just <laughs> very natural. Like in men, like testosterone's a hormone, guys. Yeah, <laughs> like hey. we get cold hormonal all the time. They're running on hormones too. Yes. Like anger is an emotion as well. But Somewhere along the way, just women, hormones, emotions yes. just got so 
became so negative. Right. Instead, I think we need to lean into it and see it like almost mm. as our superpower. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Well, thank you love so, so, I so love much. you girls. Thank we love you, you. for inviting <laughs> me. It's, it's fun to like actually not just follow your stories and I see know. your face. It's always so weird, isn't it? When you like finally get to like have a chat after stalking someone on Instagram for so long. <laughs> You're like, yeah, we're besties, but you don't really know it. <laughs> Love it. Well, you have a great Instagram account. Actually, I will just give you a bit of a plug if anyone's mm. keen because you've got so many great little tips and tricks on there and, I, yeah, yes. so valuable. So we'll link yeah. to all that as well. We, we try to keep it, like, actually helpful and not just, like, mm. a marketing engine. Like, because there's, yes. you know, my goal is, like, someday, you know, whoever in India who can't afford a penny to pay me mm. can learn to manage your PCOS Absolutely. by some sort of offerings. And yeah. our big flex over the next year, other than this baby is building a really robust blog that will be a really great resource. So it's amazing. Yeah. Follow so that you can get access to some of these things. Well, thank you so much. It was such mm-hmm. a pleasure and good luck thank with the upcoming uh, pregnancy and baby. I'll be following yeah. along, getting all your tips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, ladies. Uh, We'll see you. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.